Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Whatever happens, think on these things. Good day to you all. We're living in unpredictable times, and we need to know what to do when the world around us is falling apart. That's where the book of Philippians comes in, and today we're continuing our study in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. While you're getting your Bible, if you're able to do that, let me tell you about a resource we have that goes along with today's message. It's a book called 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart. This is a book that guides you through 100 different Bible verses and shows you how to memorize them. It's available at robertjmorgan.com or wherever books are sold. Now let's get on with our study. There's a celebrity doctor and a psychiatrist named Dr. Daniel Aman, who has done extensive research on the brain. Some of his views are controversial, and so I decided to read one of his books to see what I thought about it. I came away ambivalent about some of his ideas, but there were a few sentences that I highlighted, and I want to share some of these with you. Dr. Aman said, You are not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. You can literally change your brain, and when you do, you change your life. Learning to love and care for your brain will also decrease your stress improve your relationships, increase your chances of success in every area of life, help stave off dementia, and prevent you from becoming a burden to others. He said you can master your brain by controlling what goes into it. He said how you feel is often related to the quality of your thoughts. And then he said this, watching just 14 consecutive minutes of negative news has found to increase both anxiety and moods of sadness. He said, each thought you have triggers the release of certain chemicals which makes you feel either good or bad. If you direct your attention towards what you are grateful for, then your brain will work better. Well, that's not exactly new advice. Let's read this passage that I referred to earlier, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and see what the Lord has to say about it, what he said about it 2,000 years ago. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The key imperative or the commandment in this passage is think. Think about such things. The Lord is very concerned with what goes on in our minds every day. What do you think about? 
What images or information are you putting into your mind? What do we daydream about? What is our first thought in the morning, and what is your last thought at night? What are we thinking about when we're driving the car with the radio off, or the music off, or the podcast turned off? What attitudes fill our minds? William Barclay, the commentator, said, This is something of utmost importance because it is a law of life that if a person thinks of something often enough, he will come to the stage when he cannot stop thinking about it. His thoughts will be quite literally in a groove out of which he cannot jerk them. Well, in this passage in Philippian, Paul gives us eight qualities that should be true of the things that our minds are thinking about. First of all, he says, whatever is true. Whatever is true. I recall once when I was about 13 years old or so, I was walking through my Aunt Louise's metal fabricating factory. There was a lot of dangerous equipment there, but I could walk through it if I followed the path that had been marked out by white lines. So I was out in the factory, and I saw two of the workers by one of the machines, and they were laughing about something. I got it into my mind. They were laughing at me. I worried and worried about what had caused them to laugh. Was it because I was a little pudgy? Was it because my face was broken out? Was it because I wasn't wearing the right clothes? Well, of course, now looking back, I realize that the likelihood they were laughing at me was almost non-existent. But what I was doing was letting a self-fabricated lie bounce around in my mind. I think that we often do that. We think, what do other people think about me? And we project things into their minds when it's not there at all, and it comes to dominate our thinking. Well, Paul said, we don't need to do that. Think about what is true and what is noble. Now, the Greek word that he used here means something that is awe-inspiring and majestic and great. In the New Testament, it described, uh, described things that were serious, noble and worthy of reverence. As I'm developing this message right now, there are strikes going on in France because of the proposed changes to the National Retirement Plan, and garbage trucks haven't been running. The tourists in Paris are having to walk up and down sidewalks in which bags of garbage have been piling up for weeks. It's not very pleasant. But they do have the opportunity of choosing what to focus their eyes on. They can either be obsessed with the garbage or they can lift their eyes above the garbage to see the great monuments like the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower and the soaring stained glass windows in Saint-Chapelle. Well, our thoughts are like that. We can either let them sink down into the gutter or we can raise them above the gutter and think about things that are noble. Thirdly, he said things that are right. And the Greek word here is dikaios, which is often translated righteous in the Bible. And closely connected to it is the next word, whatever is pure. This actually is a word that means something that is not contaminated, like pure water or pure gold. In moral terms, it means something that isn't tarnished or contaminated with sinful images or impulses. And the next word is lovely. This is a word that means something that is pleasing to see, and it comes from the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. It has to do with the joy that we have when we see a friend that we enjoy 
being with or when we see just a lovely scene, something that we just love looking at. And then the next word is admirable. It's a very straightforward term, something that we are able to genuinely admire. The seventh term is excellence, which means especially excellence of quality or character. And the final word is praiseworthy. This refers to something that we can applaud. I once went to hear the President of the United States speak in a high school gymnasium. I liked some of the things that he said, and I applauded those sentences. But he said other things that I strongly disagreed with, and I didn't applaud those staying things. Well, uh, when it says things that are praiseworthy, we should think about things that are praiseworthy. These are things that we can applaud and actually things that God applauds. We need to fill our minds with thoughts that God appreciates, that he applauds. Now, obviously, as we go through life, we are confronted with a lot of things that have the opposite qualities. Almost every morning I read the newspaper. I grew up with newspapers. Uh, in fact, they came to our house every day, and I still get three different daily newspapers, although they now come to my tablet or to my phone. So every morning I spend a few minutes catching up on the nation and the world, and when I am, I'm usually thinking about warfare and death and destruction and political polarization and persecution and the secularity of our society and about all manners of evil that are bedeviling our planet. And we can't help thinking about those things. In fact, even though they don't match the qualities of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we cannot ignore them. We cannot be ignorant of them. But here is the thing, the word think, that is put in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 in the New International Version, is translated differently in some other versions. The New King James Version says, meditate on these things. The Christian Standard Bible says, dwell on these things. The New American Standard Version says, let your mind dwell on these things. The contemporary English version says, keep your mind on these things. And the amplified version says, think continually on these things. That is, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. And finally, the Good News translation says, fill your mind with these things. So even though we are exposed to things which do not correspond to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, even though we are surrounded in a world in which things are not pure and true and trustworthy and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, and even though we have to process those things, those things are not what we should dwell on or meditate on or think continually about. So all of this really comes down to thinking more and more about the Lord and about His ways and His will for us and thinking more and more about His Word. We are aware of all of the other things, and we read the news, and we listen to the world, and we talk to people, and we're exposed to various things. But when it comes down to our mind and what our minds dwell on, Paul is here simply restating what the what the entire Bible teaches. For example, Philippians 1 says, Blessed is the person whose delight 
is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep those in perfect peace whose minds are set on you. And Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And then he said, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So it's a matter of what is governing our minds. Colossians chapter 3 says, Set your, th- your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So this is all what Paul is reiterating here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever it is that God applauds, then focus your thoughts, set your minds, allow your mental images to derive from those things. Let that be the center of your thinking. Now, how do we do this? One of the things I try to do when I'm preaching and teaching is to break things down into three or four easy or practical steps and to put them in a form that's easy to remember and to do. And when it comes to thinking about these things and putting Philippians 4 into action, let me give you four steps that I'll begin with the letter R. First, we have to read our Bible. Now, this wasn't always true because in many periods of history, vast portions of the population were illiterate. They didn't know how to read, and in some cases, they did not even have a written language. In other cases, they did have a written language, but but, but no easy way to produce literature in large volumes, or they weren't educated enough to read it even if they did have a printed copy of something in front of them. So instead, they would hear and they would learn vast portions of material. In oral societies, people listen and they listen and they listen until they are memorizing the material. But today, we can read. Global literacy stands at 87%. And in most developed countries, like America, the number is 99%. And we praise God for that because it gives us the opportunity of having a personal copy of God's Word that we can read for ourselves, and the Lord expects us to read the Bible. Do you know that it bothered Jesus very greatly when his audiences did not read and ponder and properly interpret and appreciate the Scriptures? Let me give you some verses of what Jesus said just from Matthew's gospel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions are hungry? Matthew 12, 5, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temples desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? In Matthew 19, verse 4, Haven't you read that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female. Matthew 24, 16, he said, Haven't you read from the lips of children and infants you have called forth your praise? And Matthew 21, 24, he said, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone? In Matthew 22, verse 31, he said, But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said? 
Jesus looked at the people in, of his day who were Jewish people having what we call today the Old Testament scriptures, and he said, haven't you read, haven't you read, haven't you read, haven't you read this? The Lord expects us to read his word with reverence and understanding. You can do this with a physical Bible, a printed Bible, or with the Bible on your phone or your tablet. You can also listen to the scripture, but something happens to the person who begins reading his or her Bible seriously every single day. In her blog, Annette Coffey wrote about how she had a massive stroke at the age of 45, and she was unable to speak for the next seven years. And even now, many years later, she has trouble pronouncing some words, and so she writes more than she talks and she ministers through her blog. In one of the entries, she wrote, I believe now that my stroke was the most important thing that ever happened to me. I have come not only to believe in my God, but to know him and his character so very well that I realize that I cannot possibly live a minute without him, nor do I ever want to. She said, I began reading the Bible every day the year after my stroke. And though at times it has been tough, I committed to read straight through from the beginning to the end. The only way you can have a good relationship with someone is to get to know something that is important to them, and by sharing everything that is important to you also. She said that's why reading the Bible and prayer is so valuable. It's actually better than the best textbook or owner's manual or guidebook on life. And it, was expired, and it was inspired by the very one who made us and knows what is best for us. She said, I can honestly say that I've never been more at peace or happier or more fulfilled than I am right now. The change in her took place after she began reading the Bible every day. Now, you don't necessarily have to read it from Genesis to Revelation over and over again. But it is important, I think, to begin reading today where you left off yesterday. Right now, I'm reading through the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, and I just pick up today where I left off yesterday. And I like to read the Bible with a pen or pencil in my hand because that helps me to begin making notes and underscoring various verses that really speak to me. You can do this. You can read the Bible every day. Even a child can do this and should. Even a teenager can do this and should. Even you can do this and should. So find an easy-to-read translation and get started today just reading the Bible every day. That leads to the second step, which is remembering it. How do you do that? I think one of the most creative things I've ever read about, now I'll have to tell you I've not actually done this myself, but I've read about it, but it comes from an athlete named Verna Schmitz who was an athlete from Missouri and an Olympic hopeful and an all-America pole vaulter. And whenever she would compete, she would write a scripture verse with a sharpie on her arm. That's how she remembered it, so that all the time she was competing, she could look down at her arm and remember the verse of scripture that she had read. Well, later she started a website to help people memorize scripture. And if you subscribe to her plan, Every month you get a scripture card and a keychain, and listen to this, three temporary tattoos to help you remember the verse you're working on. You can take this temporary tattoo, 
put it right on your arm, and it will help you to memorize that verse. Well, I'm not suggesting that you subscribe to this service, but what I'm saying is that we need ways of remembering and techniques of even memorizing key verses the Lord gives us. It helps us if we find things uh, available that will cause us to write it down or to see it often. We need to find the verse the Lord gives us in the morning and take it through the day with us. We need to find the verse the Lord gives us at night and remember it all night long and allow our minds to dwell on it. It is a wonderful thing to read the Bible, but to find a way of actually, logistically, practically remembering through the day what you read is very important. And that leads to the third step. You have to ruminate on it. Ruminate. Now, I could have used the word reflect, which is easier. But as I prepared this message, I read a book called The Divine, or rather it's called The Art of Divine Meditation. It was by a Puritan named Edmund Calamy, who lived in the 1600s. He was a very popular preacher in London. Well, in this book about meditation, Calamy or Calamy referred to the most unlikely passage in the Bible when it comes to meditation. I couldn't believe that he actually brought this up, but after he did, I thought how smart it was. In Leviticus chapter 11, we have a list of clean and unclean animals. And Calamy said that this is a real clue to how to go about biblical meditation. In Leviticus 11, there is a list of clean and unclean animals. And one of the things that differentiated the clean from the unclean was the animals that chewed their cud were declared clean, and the ones that didn't were not declared clean. Well, Calamy said that the same thing is true for people. The ones who chew the cud are clean, and he said they're getting cleaner every day. What did he mean by that? Well, I grew up around livestock, and I've owned livestock. Some barnyard animals, like cows and sheep, have a divided stomach. They graze and eat all of the grass that they can, and they sort of swallow it down whole, and then later they find a shady spot and regurgitate it and chew it up real good before swallowing again. Uh, well, this special stomach that they have is called a rumen, R-U-M-A-N, a rumen, and that's where we get our word ruminate. And this is what Kalami was talking about. It means that we let our minds chew on whatever it is that we have read and remembered. We, we ruminate over it. In his book, Edward, I don't know if it's Kalami or Kalami, I've been saying both, but he wrote, quote, A meditating Christian is one that chews the cud, that chews on the truths of Jesus Christ and does not only hear good things, but when he has heard them, chews over them, ruminates on them, so that they may be more fit for digestion and concoction and spiritual improvement. He said they are clean and getting cleaner every day. Well, let's say that you've been focusing your attention on this particular verse, Philippians 4 verse 8. How do you ruminate over it? Well, you read it. You maybe find ways of remembering it. It might be that you list out those eight qualities, you circle some words, you just 
uh, sort of dissect the verse. And then when you sit in the Adirondack chair in the backyard, you put down your phone and just think about this verse. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You consider what's been occupying your mind. Have you been worried about things? Has your mind been filled with anxiety? Has it been obsessed by something that happened to you? Has it been filled with impure images? Has it been filled with nonstop coverage of some story in the news? Have the things you've been thinking about, allowing your mind to dwell on, are those things excellent or praiseworthy? Well, what is excellent or praiseworthy? How, how would you explain that phrase to somebody else? How would you reallocate your mental resources to bring your mind into conformity with Philippians 4 verse 8? You just sit there and ruminate about this. That is a very powerful technique. That is how, as we read about in Romans chapter 12, we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is something about reading and remembering and ruminating over a passage that literally changes our lives, we rewires our brains, and transforms us from the inside out. I try to do this whenever I'm preparing a sermon. I find that after I've studied the selected passage as well as I can, I inevitably have to walk around uh, or pace back and forth or go out on the greenways and try to figure out how do I explain this material and make it practical and how do I apply it to my life and, and to others. This is rumination. This is reflection. This is biblical meditation. Here is the key. We let the Bible change our thoughts we let our thoughts change our attitudes. We let our attitudes change our habits, and we let our habits change our behavior. And so that leads us to the final step. We read, we remember, we, we ruminate, and then we realign our life to what we have heard. We respond. We bring our lives in con into conformity with, with the Word of God that we have been reading and studying. And at the end of the verse, there is a promise for people who do that. And the promise is that the God of peace will be with you. So let's read the verse again. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable— if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. And before I sign off, let me just give you for fun the devil's version of this passage. He would say, finally, my pushovers, whatever is disturbing, whatever is worrisome, whatever is sleazy, whatever is impure, whatever is worthless, whatever is filthy, whatever is doubtful, whatever is bitter, if there is anything crude and perishable, think about these things and the heartaches of the world will engulf you. You know, for what, I'm, uh, for, for, for what it's worth, I suggest the original version, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Well, thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. And remember to check out my book, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart, at your favorite bookstore or book distributor. 
This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is by our engineer, Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline to them, and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis, whose special arrangement of one of my favorite hymns, When Morning Hills the Sky, is our theme song. Thanks for tuning in, and may God be with you until we meet again.